take this time to remind you that we have uh, Children's Church for age, grades 2 all the way below. Whoa, hit the microphone. So if you are one of our children, uh, second grade or below, you are welcome to head out the back door. I think they are already long gone. They, they know the routine, even if we don't, we forget it from time to time, and they are off that way. We are going to continue our study and our series in the book of Ezekiel. And so we are going to be in Ezekiel chapter 13 today, looking at verses, we're going to read verses 1 through 9. We're going to be looking at the entire chapter. And since you are already standing, let's remain so in honor of the reading of God's word. Now God spoke through the prophet Ezekiel and he said these things. Then the, then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel who prophesy. And say to those who prophesy from their own inspiration, listen to the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, woe to the foolish prophets who are following their own spirit and have seen nothing. O Israel, your prophets have been like foxes among the ruins. You have not gone up into the breaches, nor have you built the walls around the house of Israel to stand in the battle on the day of the Lord. They see falsehood and lying divination, who are not saying the Lord declares when the Lord has not, has not sent them. Yet they hope for the fulfillment of their word. Did you not see a false vision and speak a lying divination when you said the Lord declares? But it is not I who have spoken. Therefore, thus says the Lord God. Because you have spoken falsehood and seen a lie, therefore, behold, I am against you, declares the Lord God. So my hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and utter lying divinations. They will have no place in the council of my people, nor will they be written down in the register of the house of Israel, nor will they enter the land of Israel, that they may know that I am the Lord God. Please be seated. You know, we live in a day of mixed messages, don't we? It is often hard for us in this day and age to sort through all of the noise and figure out what is actually going on in the world around us. We see conflicting stories all the time. When we turn on the news, we're given one story. And whether that is the local news or the national news and whether it's ABC or Fox or whatever, we're, we're given a story, but they seem to not always go together. And then we open up our, our internet and we go to the news sources online or maybe it's posts that are being shared or, or, or brought up on your screen on social media. And, and there's all of these different conflicting accounts of what is happening all around us. We are constantly bombarded with stories about celebrities and politics, COVID-19, crimes, and, and just tons of other things. But then once we see one story, we are almost immediately encountered with another story that, that refutes the first. And so one person is saying one thing and another person is saying another and then after a while, even if we finally get to the truth of the matter, it's, it's only a coin flip of whether the news you heard first was accurate. Because it may have been someone in such a rush to get the headline out there and the sensationalized story out there that they never checked their facts. And then when the true story comes out, you've already been, been exposed to the false. 
Or the true story comes out first and what's really happening, and then someone takes those words and twists them and, and manipulates them to the point that it tells a completely different story, and we're often found struggling to figure out what is the truth and how do we deal with it. It's overwhelming. And it's probably why so many in this room and, and all over our nation have turned off their TVs, canceled their social media accounts, and have just taken everything that they see in the news or everything that they see on the internet with a grain of salt. Many of us have numbed ourselves to the sensationalized headlines and all that is going on, and we focus on just what we see right in front of us and don't allow the news to try to cause us to be fearful or angry or at the very least confused. If you get what I'm talking about, if, you, if this is speaking to you and you're like, yeah, that's exactly how I feel. I, can't, I don't believe anybody anymore. Then you probably have a really good idea about what it was like to live in, in Israel or to live in exile at this time that Ezekiel is writing. Because what we experience with all of the mixed messages, with all of the conflicting stories, is very similar to what they would have been experiencing in Ezekiel's time. In our passage this morning, God speaks through the prophet Ezekiel in order to address the fact that there were false prophets constantly speaking words against him. Imagine this for just a moment. You are a prophet like Ezekiel um, here in exile or like Jeremiah who is still in Jerusalem and near uh, Judea and, and Israel. And you are called to say something. And so you go forth and you proclaim the word of the Lord and you preach whatever God has told you to preach. And in this case, a lot of times they were preaching judgment and woe on the people. And as soon as you say, this is the word of the Lord, some other so-called prophet emerges from the woodwork like a rat in a, in a dumpster and starts saying, no, 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 no. I've got a good word from the Lord for you today. And begins to take back everything that you have said. Now, I would imagine for you that would be frustrating. But imagine being one of the people who's hearing both. Imagine if just for a moment you have one prophet come up. And this prophet's a little eccentric. He's dug through walls and he's laid on his side for for literally months upon months, and he's eaten weird food, cooked over uh, cow dung, and, and he's done all this weird stuff, and he gets up and he says, this is going to be bad. And we are going to get, Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. We are going to be in exile for a long time. We have refused to repent. We are in deep, deep trouble, and, and y'all better hold on because this is about to get ugly. And you go, oh man, the crazy guy says things are going to go bad. And then some other guy comes up and he probably doesn't look that bad. He's probably dressed well. He's got oil in his hair and beard. So he's looking all slicked up. Probably smells nice. Everybody seems to like him. And he goes, well, I have a word from the Lord too. And what the Lord told me was that we're doing okay. In fact, it's going to be good. In fact, ha, it's going to be so good. In fact, ha, you better pack your bags because we are going home. Amen? Can I get an amen? All right, all right. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You can put some money in the plate right there. 
And you're sitting there and you might be going, well, who should I listen to? That guy's crazy and smells bad. But this guy seems to be really encouraging and he makes me feel good. What do I do? Well, in the midst of all this, God speaks to these prophets directly. And he tells them what he's going to do with them. And I think in the midst of that, we're going to get a little bit of an idea of maybe what we need to do to make sure that we are listening to the word of God and not to something else. So let's dive into this just a little bit. Let's talk about these, these false prophets that, that he is addressing in our passage today. And he's going to address throughout this entire chapter. And what I want you to recognize, if you've got your, your Bible open, and I hope you do, to, to the whole chapter of Ezekiel, I want you to notice that there's actually two different kind of sets of prophets that, that Ezekiel is going to have to address and God is going to address through Ezekiel. And the, the first group is the one that we just read about. These ones that were claiming to speak for the word of the Lord, even though God had not spoken to them, and, and, and that they were the ones who were just saying things like, listen to the word of the Lord. That was their, that was their kind of intro. You know, he would kind of, we kind of hear it in that old, that old way of saying, thus saith the, word, the, thus saith the Lord. You know, that old King James way. And, and, and that may have been kind of how Ezekiel was presenting it. But these guys were saying, hey, listen, I have a word from the Lord too. These people were often um, kind of your more traditional prophet types. They were men. They would get up and give speeches. They were a little bit more kind of consistent with what the people were used to. They would have really looked at them as just your standard everyday prophets. And they, so they had Ezekiel and they had Jeremiah and they had these people. But then they had all these other people who were really, if, if it looked on the surface, probably didn't look that much different. The false prophets may have been more popular because they were preaching popular things. They may have looked a little bit better, dressed a little bit better, ate certainly better. But they kind of, on the surface, they looked the same. It would be a lot like today, and I'm getting a little ahead because I don't want to bring in kind of today thing. It'd be a lot like today. You know, the preachers kind of look like preachers everywhere you go. You know, some of us are short, some of us are tall, some of us are, are fat, some of us are skinny. We're all different colors, but for the most part... Every church you go to, at some point, a guy who's dressed a little bit nicer is going to get up on stage and he's going to have a table or a pulpit or something. And you're going to say, oh, I know that guy's the preacher, if anything, because he doesn't have a guitar in his hand. And so you kind of get the thing. And that's what these guys were. They looked like everyone else. Everyone else that, that kind of did the prophet thing, that's kind of what they looked like. And so that's what they expected them to be. It's interesting because I really like how God refers to these prophets. He refers to them as being like foxes among ruins. Now, that doesn't mean a whole heck of a lot for us today. But if we kind of like fast forwarded that and made an analogy today, we would say they would be like cockroaches when the lights turn on. They would be like rats when suddenly someone shines their headlights. These were the foxes at this day. Now, we think foxes are cute. I know PJ loves foxes. Foxes are cute. But, and foxes are great. But you have to remember, foxes are, are hunters and they're scavengers. And so foxes among the ruins were basically, when there was tore down buildings, when there was tore down rock, when there was going to be ruins like there really was in Jerusalem at this time, foxes would often use these as places to hunt out vermin. 
in order to eat the vermin. And they would hop around and skip around through there in order to flush rodents, rats, and different creatures out of the ruins so that they could eat them. That's the analogy they're doing. It's not a cute little fluffy fox, I'm sorry. But rather, these were, these were hunters going through and causing a commotion in order to flush out their prey so that they could snatch him up. And he said, that's who these prophets are. They are causing a commotion to stir up the crowd because they want something, they desire something from them, and they want to snatch them up. And he said, these prophets that, that are, are speaking for me, making these claims are not actually from me. In fact, they exist only and solely to take advantage of the people. They are hoping to get a reaction from the people that will give them what they want. So that's group number one. Group number two is actually wildly different, and and it's down in verse 17. If you want to jump down in your Bible to verse 17, I'm not going to read it all right now, but just if you look for just a moment, it says in verse 17, And you, son of man, set your face against the daughters of your people who are prophesying from their own inspiration. Very different from the prophets that he talks about at the beginning of the chapter is a group of prophetesses, female prophets, that are also doing very similar things. Now, these prophets, as already mentioned, were women, but they didn't prophesy like the men did. They didn't come forward and just start saying, I have a word from the Lord, or listen to me, I've got something from God too. But instead, they acted almost more like witches and fortune tellers and and those type of people. Today, we would really look at them as more as the the psychic hotline or the tarot card reader. And these women claimed to be prophets and claimed to have have this this, uh, uh, word from the Lord. And, And make no mistake, just before we jump too far ahead, there were female prophets in the Bible. Miriam who was uh, Moses' sister, prophesied at one point. One of the most famous prophet, uh, prophetesses was Deborah in the book of Judges. They most certainly existed. And yet they, they did certain things that, that made them more in that line with, with these fortune tellers. And so what they would do, and, and very different from what, um, what we would see from the prophets, is they would kind of create these almost like magic spells and tokens, and talismans, and stuff like that. And if you look in the passage, it says they, they made bracelets. They, they sewed uh, bracelets for, for pe- women to wear on their wrists, or men to wear on their wrists, and encouraged them to wear certain veils. And they would get them to do things. And all of this was for a reason. Because people would go to these women and say, hey, I've got a problem. And I need, to, I need God's help with this problem. Can you talk to God for me? And help me solve my problem. And they'd say, oh yeah, sure, no problem. But what are you going to do for me? And so they'd tell them to do crazy things like wear these, these beaded things and these veils and all that stuff. But the reality is, and if you look at verse 19, it says this. It says, for a handful of barley and for fragments of bread, you have profaned me to the people to put to death some who should not die and to keep others who should not live by your lying to my people who listen to your lies. So what they were doing is these people would come to talk to these women and they'd say, I can solve your problem. 
I can, I can take care of your dispute with your friend. Just what are you going to do for me? And so they would feed them and they would pay them and they would take care of them. And in doing so, they'd say, I have a word from the Lord. And there has been a conflict between Joe and Randy. And Randy has accused Joe of stealing his goat. And the Lord has revealed to me that that's exactly what Joe has done and he deserves to be put to death. And that's what they'd say, yeah, off with his head. And that's what they were doing. And they were claiming to speak for the Lord and they were taking bribes in order to, to see that happen. And then they would say, well, who paid me the most? Who took care of me? Well, that's the one I'm going to take care of. And the passage even reveals that they were perverting justice because of it. Now, both of these types of prophets, these are, are, are not a new thing for Israel, nor do they go away. Turn with me to Acts chapter 8, where we encounter a guy named Simon who was also a sorcerer in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 8, we, we encounter him, and when we get down to verse 18, he is, has seen the works of, of Philip the evangelist, and, and he has become a, a believer of sorts himself. That says this in Acts chapter 8 when he has an encounter with Peter. It says, now, then, now when Simon saw that the Spirit was, bespo was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, give this authority to me as well, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gifts of God with money. Simon, much like these prophets in Ezekiel's day, all believed and desired to have gifts of God that they wanted to get, that they wanted to have, and that they pretended to have in order to improve their position in life. They used God as a means to be fed, as a means to be spoiled, as a means to enjoy luxury or to have all of their needs and wants provided for them, or as we might say today, to be blessed. But Simon, much like these prophets of old, were not really concerned about what God really wanted or who God really was. They were only concerned about what does God do for me. This is a reminder for those of us who seek to teach or lead in any way, shape, or form in the church to take very serious the words of 1 Timothy 3.3 when it calls overseers, which is people like me, pastors, to be free from the love of money. Because the moment our desire for the things of this world begin to overwhelm our desire to be pleasing to God, we will use the things of God to get the things of this world. And that's what these false prophets were doing. They wanted things that this world could provide them. They wanted food. They wanted clothing. They wanted power. They wanted influence. They wanted popularity and all that went with that. And so they used the things of God to get what they wanted. And brothers and sisters, that should not be true of your pastor. And you should hold him accountable to that. And it should not be true of you. God is not a means to an end. God is the end. And we cannot get that twisted. So that's who we're dealing with. 
We're dealing with these foxes among the ruins. We're dealing with these, these uh, psychics trying to make a buck. And then let's get into their message. What were they actually telling the people? What was their, the message that they were talking about? What specifically what they say? Well, the passage gives us a couple of clues. First, God accuses the male prophets at the beginning that they were declaring peace where there is no peace. Now, this is not the worldly, this, this is a worldly idea that they are talking about. When he is, de they're declaring peace, this is not a gospel message. You know, we're, we're like a day away from November. And I know for some of you, you're already starting to dust off your Christmas boxes and starting to think about putting the trees up. You know who you are. And you're going to be starting to sing songs about the Prince of Peace. And so peace is going to be a buzzword here in the next couple of weeks and couple of months. But that's not the peace they're talking about. They're talking about a very worldly peace, a peace that, that, that only relates to, to what is going on in their specific situation. They are talking as though that there is going to be no hostility or enmity between them and Babylon. And more specifically, that there is no hostility or enmity between God and Israel itself. They are saying when Ezekiel goes up and says, we have failed to repent and we are receiving the judgment of God and we need to repent now in, ho in hopes that God will relent in his judgment. They're saying, no, peace. That's what God has for us. We are God. And it would have sounded good. We are God's chosen people. God loves us and he wants what's best for us. And so God has nothing but peace planned for us. You don't need to worry. You don't need to do anything. You don't need to repent. You just need, this is the word you need, peace. Everything's gonna be A-O-K. The false prophets were literally talking them out of any kind of contrition or repentance. He did, the false prophets did not want their people to feel convicted over their sin at all. And so the moment prophets like Ezekiel or Jeremiah called them out for their sin, they rushed in to say, oh, it's okay. You're fine. Listen to how Jeremiah talked about it when he dealt with the same thing. In Jeremiah chapter 6, we read these words. They have healed the brokenness of my people superficially. Saying, peace, peace, but there is no peace. Were they ashamed because of the abominations they have done? They were not even ashamed at all. They did not even know how to blush Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall. At the time that I punish them, they shall be cast down, says the Lord. Whew. That's wild. Ezekiel also accused them of plaster overing their walls with whitewash. If we look again at verse 10. Now, we be, may be asking, what on earth is that? What on earth is he talking about? What does whitewash have to do with everything? We've had prophets and foxes and now whitewash and, and, and psychics, and there's just been a crazy morning. Welcome to a Halloween Sunday sermon, I guess. But to understand what this whitewashing is about, go back to verse 5 again. 
He's, account, he's accusing the, the prophets, and he says, You have not gone up into the breaches, nor did you build the wall around the house of Israel to stand in the battle on the day of the Lord. What is going on in this passage doesn't have really very much to do with Jerusalem's actual invasion that is going to be coming from Nebuchadnezzar very soon, but has a lot to do with the prophets preparing the people for God's judgment. He said to these prophets, you have an opportunity to speak to the people. Now, these aren't his prophets at all. Remember that. But you have an opportunity to minister to these people and prepare them in repentance and mourning and sackcloth because the day of the Lord is coming and to prepare their hearts so that when that day happens, I might show mercy on them on the day of the Lord. But you failed to do that. You refuse to speak the truth to them. You refuse to tell them about their sin. You refuse to convict them of their waywardness. You refuse to cast out the idols that are all over Jerusalem. And because of that, in the day of the Lord, when I come and bring judgment onto this city, nothing is going to stop it. And not only did they refuse to, to repair the breaches, but they whitewashed it. They took what was there and they put white paint and whitewash all over it so it looked as pretty as possible. So they had a pretty, beautiful, useless wall. What the prophets were doing is they were making everybody feel good. But because sin was never addressed and a call for repentance never given, the reality was, is no matter how pretty they looked on the outside, judgment was in their future. Jesus used this exact same terminology when he talked to the Pharisees. Matthew 23, 27 says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and all un cleanliness. Guys, we have got to get past the surface as a church. What Ezekiel is accusing these false prophets of is exactly what Jesus accused the Pharisees of. And the, and the reality is, is what they are accusing them of is fake, outward, feel-good Christianity where I look the part and I act the part and I talk the part and I dress the part, but I refuse to actually deal with the sin that is in my life. And I refuse to, to call myself to repentance or allow anyone else to ever point out the sin in my life. I'm going to fake it and hope that somehow I make it. And Jesus is saying, and God is saying, you may fool the entire church. You may fool the council of Jerusalem. You may fool the entire city, but you have not fooled me. And make no mistake, your sin will find you out. Very quickly, the female prophets, as we mentioned already, they were perverting justice. 
using bribery and divination in order to convince that certain people were innocent and certain people were good. And often the person who was found innocent or the person that was found guilty was based totally on how they padded their pocket or met their physical needs. They were being bribed incessantly and their entire system of justice within the nation of of, of Israel had become so perverted by these psychics that that the people who were good, righteous people had no incentive to do so. And the people who were sinful, fallen, corrupt people were, were getting boosted up and provided for and, and, and they were becoming wealthy. For that, Ezekiel, or excuse me, Isaiah also spoke when he said, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. We have to be careful about that in the church as well. We have to make sure that we don't decide who's right and who's wrong based on whether they are red or blue, but based on what's really happening. We have to make sure that we are showing grace and mercy to all involved. And we have to make sure that we are speaking the truth and that we are seeking what is right and what is according to God's will and God's word. And not because of this person is my friend or this person is my enemy. You know, you read a passage like today, and I'm sure I have felt, I'm sure it may feel like either I'm just talking about a different world in a different day and age, or just that I've hit you with a fire hose of information. But make no mistake, this lives in our world today. And we have false teachers, and in a sense, false prophets even today, and we need to be discerning of these things. And not only discerning of them out there when we think about other churches and other places, but discerning in here. As you rightly judge your pastor, but also our teachers and our Sunday school teachers and our policies and the way that we conduct ourselves as a church. Brothers and sisters, there are still false prophets declaring peace, peace. It looks different, but really it is the exact same thing. I was struck the other day, and some people have heard about this, and some of people aren't going to like this. Every once in a while, I will take time and I will watch other churches' sermons. Either somebody here sends me a link or something pops up and, or someone I know, and, and I'll listen to someone else's sermon to kind of figure out what they're all about. And a while back, I was watching a sermon by somebody, and, and he was getting ready to present, you know, he's getting ready to preach, and he said, and they, I think they read the passage, but I'm not entirely sure. And he says, now, if I was studying this passage, I, I went to the Lord, and I said, Lord, what am I supposed to say about this passage? And the Lord talked to me, and he said, grow. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, that passage did not have a darn thing to do with growth. But it sounded good. And guess how much he referred back to that passage that he had just read for the rest of that sermon? Zero. For him, Scripture was a trampoline to bounce off of to go do, talk about what you wanted to talk about. But see, here's what he did. He made it seem like he had received a direct revelation from God and that God had directly told him this one word, grow. And so now everything about his sermon was about grow. And I don't know if he's talking about growing vines or growing crystals or, 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 I don't know, growing out his hair. I don't have that problem. And, and whatever it was, but everything had to do with grow and had nothing to do with the passage he had actually brought to the people. 
Guys, people do this all the time. It is not the first time I've heard a sermon like that. They claim to be preaching from the Scripture, but in reality, their entire message is coming from some supposed direct revelation from God. And you know what I've noticed about those people? Not one time is the direct revelation from God repent, shame, sorrow, mourning. No, it's restoration, growth, joy, going deeper. It's all happy, fun stuff. These are these same false prophets. Peace, peace. God's got your back. It's all good. God wants to see you be successful. And God's got, God's got it all taken care of. And in a lot of ways, that's true. But the moment you hear a pastor read a passage of Scripture and say, I asked God what to tell me today, and he told me to tell you this, turn it off. Because why in the world did God give us all of this? If all he had to do was look at you and go, moon pies. And you could go on with your life because now you know what you're supposed to get at the convenience store. It doesn't make sense. And it's not who God's called us to be. The reality is, it's exactly what we see in 2 Timothy 4.3. For the time will come where they will, in, they will not endure sound doctrine but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accommodate or accum accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. You want to know why the word for that day was growth? Because he knew his congregation wanted to hear past sermons and feel-good sermons about how they are growing as a church. Not only are there still false prophets in our world today that say peace, peace, but there are still prof false prophets trying to hide sin. See, sin, believe it or not, is a significant theme in all of Scripture. Over and over again, God is pointing out sin. God is pointing out that they have been enslaved to their sin. He is calling for their repentance, for the redemption, with, with redemption of sin. He is talking about in the New Testament that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we have the ability to resist sin over and over and over. As you read your Bible, you will see God talk about the sins of people over and over and over again. And yet, there are too many leaders in the church today who refuse to address sin in their church, in their church members, or even in their own lives. They refuse to address sin, and it leaves their people open to be to, and vulnerable to the enemy and his work. When you do not address the sin in your life and you refuse to look at the sin in your life, you are opening up a door for the enemy to step into your world and take that sin and run you like a dog. And you will find yourself exhausted and broken and wondering what on earth happened to you. John chapter 10 verse 12 says this, specifically about these false shepherds, these hired hands that will not protect the sheep. He says, he who is the hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them up and scatters them. You are not doing yourself nor anyone else a favor by minimizing the sin in your life or in the life of others. Parents, 
That means your kids. I know you have that sweet little baby boy or sweet little baby girl that can't do no wrong. You do them no favors by telling them that they're perfect. You do them no favors by making them believe that everything, that, that everything going on is somebody else's fault and it's not theirs. Brothers and sisters in Christ, that friend of yours, that person in your Sunday school class, that accountability partner, that whoever it might be, you do them no favors by helping them justify their sin and their sinful thought processes. Now, does that mean that you become a bat and you hit them upside the head with every time they mess up? No, because you can only hit somebody upside the head with a bat so many times. Usually it's two, I've checked. But you lovingly speak the truth in their life and say, hey man, you're my brother and I love you. But you're not keeping your word. And you tell people you're going to do stuff and then you don't do it. And I don't know what your justification is and I don't care, but what the reality is, is that's lying. And the Bible says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And right now, I don't believe that when you say yes, you mean yes. And I think that's something you need to take to the Lord and you need to repent about. We need to have those conversations. We need to turn to our loved ones and say, hey, I know you claim to be a Christian, but I also noticed that you started posting about the fact that you're a Pisces on Facebook. And I want to let you know that astrology, that's demonic. And that's telling, you, that's telling you that you are not who you are because of who God created you to be, but you are who you are because of the stars over your head when you were born. And that's not from God. And that's going to take you down the road to idolatry and away from God. And you need to repent of that. You need to delete that stuff. And you need to get that astrology nonsense out of your, out of your mind. And I love you. And I don't want you to get yourself to a point that thinks that you can behave badly because you're an Aries. We need to have those conversations. It means going up to the pastor and saying, Pastor, I really appreciate the work you do in this church, and I know you work very hard, but you have anger issues. And you get upset with the people too easy, and you say things you shouldn't say, and you're hurting people's feelings, and you're running people off. And I don't know what's going on in your life, but if you need to talk about it, I want to talk about it because the way you're handling your anger is not godly. And if you need help, I want to help you. We need to have these conversations. Because we're not doing each other any favors by hiding our sin. Lastly, we need to look at passages like this because Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophet. And if we want to know what God is saying, we can look to his word and to the words of Jesus. Hebrews chapter one, verse one says this, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets and in many places and in many ways, in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he has made the world. In the Old Testament, God spoke through his prophets, but in the New Testament, God spoke to man directly through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. 
This means for us today that God can be known through his word. And any and every so-called prophet, whether he is a pastor or anything else, must be held up to the word of God. And if he is not speaking from the word, then he should be looked at very, very closely. John wrote in his first letter, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because there are many false prophets who have gone out into the world. That, that verse reminds me of a quote from a very early reformer, as we talked about the Reformation today, named John Owen, who said, If private revelation agrees with Scripture, then it is needless. And if it disagrees, then it is false. Now, I'm not sure if I fully agree with what he is saying and what he's implying there, but I will tell you this, that I know that if you place your life and your faith in Jesus Christ, and if you seek to be obedient to God's word in everything that you do, then you will be able to sort through the mixed messages that we see in this world, even in Christianity. And you will be able to discern God's leadership and be able to follow God's will with your life. And you will not need a prophet to come tell you what to do because you can open up his word and you can do what he's called you to do. All of us in this room have been called to be followers of Jesus. And that is a lifelong pursuit that begins with one decision. And it would be wrong of us today to assume that you can go through life following Jesus without making that one decision first. And that decision is to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. You have heard mentioned already today that what the, the Bible says is that God spoke to the prophets long ago. But in this age that we live in now, God spoke to us through Christ. And the message of Jesus was this, that God loves the world so much that he sent his one and only son. That whosoever will believe in him will not perish because of their sin but will have everlasting life. And my question for you today is, have you placed your faith and hope and your belief in Jesus Christ? Do you recognize that you, in your current state, are perishing, but through a relationship with Christ, through belief in Christ, you can have eternal life? A lifelong pursuit of Jesus begins with one decision. That says, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and I will follow him as my Lord. If you're ready to make that decision today, we're going to take some time. We're going to sing one more song. And I would love to have a conversation with you about what it means to know Christ as your Lord and Savior. Whatever God is speaking to you today, we invite you to respond. Let's pray. Our gracious God and King, Lord, we do praise you for who you are. God, we praise you that you have given us all we need to know you and to follow you. God, that you have given us a discerning heart. And God, that you have helped us and that you have shined away into all of the mixed messages in the world around us. And that you have sent your son to provide that clear message. Lord, I pray that we will be a congregation who does not get swept up by false teachings and false ideas by false prophets. But God, that we will recognize that we are sinners 
who need to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And God, that we will look to your word in order to know you and that we will follow you all the days of our lives. God, if there is anyone here today that doesn't know you, that is still living in sin, hiding in sin, and, and, and is not ready to surrender their life, Lord, I pray that even now your spirit is convicting, of their, their, convicting them of their sin, and God, that ultimately that you would turn their heart back towards you, and they would seek the truth as it is found in Scripture. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.